Hello and welcome to Chatting, a podcast where people chat about how they learn and use English. My name is Sam, I'm a CELTA teacher and a performer and I have a particular interest in pronunciation and expression. In each episode, non-native and native speakers will chat about their experiences with English, share their advice and, at the end, I'll give some pronunciation tips for you to take away and practice. So, ready? Let's get chatting. This episode, I'm chatting with Heather. Heather is originally from Scotland and is a content writer and editor. We chatted online, so you might hear some odd sounds and bits that aren't so clear. We chatted about becoming Americanized, simplifying language to read online and tricky grammar points. But I started by asking Heather to tell me a little bit about herself. I've been working in digital publishing in one form or another as a writer, as an editor, as a proofreader for about 10 years. I started out working in American English and I've worked almost exclusively in it the whole time. Apart from, I tell a lie, I was a subtitler for a while for the BBC. So that was very much like British English. And that was a really cool challenge, like taking spoken English and then turning it into written English that people can read. I've had a lot of really great uh, interactions with non-native English speakers. I love how malleable English is. Like I love how flexible it is in letting you get away with things, especially when you're learning. Well, let's start at the beginning. How would you describe your English? My English. I'm at a weird place with my English because I think it's changed over the years. I think it has become in recent history Americanized. And not just the spelling. I mean like the way that I will talk to people or like in a weird way, like the confidence that I have, like I think living in America for eight years, I got very used to having like short informal interactions with strangers in a way that I don't think I ever would have in the UK. And so I think my sentences have gotten shorter and I'm using words that I never would have used before, like dude, or like even chill. California, I say chill a lot. Like even the way I say California, I used to say California when I moved there and I say California. It's not only like the the spoken language in America, I think is generally like more fast paced and shorter sentences, but specifically the work I've been doing for the last five years or so is taking really complicated information like technical instructions or manuals or troubleshooting stuff uh, and then simplifying it down for a reading audience that we like to aim for somewhere between the fourth and sixth American school grades. So that's somewhere in the region of like 12 years like or to 15 years roughly and the reason for that is not that it's just that people don't read on the internet like people are in a rush they're in a hurry they're not reading a lot of the words you want to make them easier to read and you want to make them easy to translate as well you want to give your linguists an easy time of it so the sentence structures that we'll use are deliberately more simplistic and I don't think that that's like a bad thing Um, it's a challenge it's fun it's hard but it's it's just kind of a mix of both an American audience and the fact that the American audience that I'm writing for is probably not super happy with the, you know, like if they're looking for like help or they're troubleshooting, like they're probably in a hurry. They're probably not super impressed in that moment. And the way that we impress them is by being brief and like meeting them where they're at. Absolutely. You can be brief and concise, but still be very clear in your message. Yes. It's a, 
a Mark, I think it's Mark Twain quote, it's harder to write a short thing than a long thing, more or less. That's not word for word at all, but like the, the essence of what he was saying was, um, you know, it's easy to write something that's very long. Are you always aiming for native speakers, always American speakers, or do you have non-native English speakers in mind as well? I think in order for content to be good, the first word that should always come to mind is accessibility. So I don't want to presume that everybody has the interest, the time, the history. My goal is to enable them to understand what it is I'm trying to write, no matter who they are or how they're reading or how much time they have. Like my current job, for example, our content is available in over 30 languages. I don't have the precise number. So we want to be thinking about the linguists and translators that we work with um, to make sure that we're not using really uh, overwrought sentence structures that will give them a headache. This might be a random question. Despite living abroad then in different places, you still have a really beautiful Scottish accent. Your accent is still really clear. Oh. Have you ever needed to modify your accent? Absolutely. For me, though, it was always more volume than pronunciation. I was never told I was quiet until I went to the US. I don't consider myself to be quiet. Ordering food, for example, in the US, like I ended up just giving in and saying tomato, even though it really hurt me to do it. I was like, I hate that pronunciation of it. But these people, like the sandwich makers would just not understand. Like, first of all, I was too quiet. Second of all, I was saying things weirdly. So at a certain time, I just had to start doing what felt to me like shouting at them, like tomato. And I would feel super rude while I was doing it. But that's what they, they obviously didn't think that. They were like, oh, this is fine. So, and that was reflected across multiple different, like a lot of places they would be like, excuse me, sorry, speak up. But I think sometimes if you have an accent from anywhere in the UK, and also it doesn't matter where you're from in the UK, uh, you will be uh, told that you're British or in my case, Irish. Um, oh, really? Constantly. Oh yeah, like I can count on one hand the number of times people ask where I was from in Scotland and I would be like, yes, wow. but uh, I would, Irish like 90% of the time or like Australian a bus driver asked me if I was Australian once really yeah yeah uh, mm -hmm. I'm gonna ask you um, a philosophical question so English is said to be the easiest language to learn but the hardest to perfect do you agree or disagree I agree with the sentiment of that statement because I think like I think I said it earlier one of my favorite things about English is like if you need something like if you're trying to get through a bus station and you have like two of the seven words needed for that transaction, using just those two words and hand gestures, you can probably get where you're going. Mm. And like other languages, I think sometimes aren't able to be as flexible in their pronunciation or their word order as English is. So I think it helps people get by. But then perfecting it is really hard because so much of it is completely illogical. It's just kind of a lot of the time of free-for-alls. There's so many exceptions. Like the, the American one, like if something sucks, it's bad if something blows it's bad but those words are opposites so how they end up meaning the same thing mm. in spoken American English is you know question mark but those kind of things I think unless you have the time to expose yourself to like a lot of movies or books I just I think it would be I really do not envy anybody who is uh, learning English as a, a second or post-second language and has to encounter all those things. All right, so what about your own skills? I imagine that you're 
pretty on top of it all, but what of your own skills, grammar, vocabulary, punctuation, pronunciation, would you improve mm-hmm. if you could? Um, I think I would improve, I want to say, academic understanding of the English language. Like, I know the rules really well. I've had to, I've been a, a proofreader. So I know the rules of English really well. But, like, if you sit me down and, like, ask me about, like, words like maybe gerund or, you know, genitive or partitive, I know that stuff way better in French and in Finnish than I do in English, just because like English, I learned it by living there and reading a lot of books and learning it as my mother tongue. I never actually sat down and like understood the the rules of it. I just know how it works through habit and repetition. Do you think it's important for native speakers to learn the rules of their own language? I really want to say yes, but I've also been working professionally with the English language for 10 years without doing that. So that makes me feel like I should probably just be honest and say no. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's required, but I mean, it, it definitely can't hurt. Like I would, I would like to be able to explain things better. I remember when I was a teaching assistant in France, one of the kids once asked me, she's like, what is the difference between I have to do this and I must do this? And I was like, I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> I And this was like before, like you could Google, before the Google Translate app existed or anything like that. So just like, oh, must is more important. But I have to is really important too. But like being able to answer those kind of things, I think might be helpful. But if you're wanting to enjoy English or work in English, probably no. Okay, final question then, Heather. What advice would you give an English learner to help them? I would say just just read. Um, something that I find really helpful in my own language studies of non-English languages is reading children's books. The first book I read in French was Harry Potter, and I was a I was an adult, but like the sentence structures were more simple, the vocabulary is less complex. But that was like something that was helpful for me. Also, like watching TV with subtitles on is like a really good way to do it and like I think the the best with a bullet is if you can find someone who is a native speaker of that language and start a friendship with them they'll be understanding and correct you and stuff like that is probably the game changer there and I think there's a lot of good resources available for people to to learn in English certainly I know there's a lot of like things you can read on the internet great advice from Heather Try children's books or young adult books to improve your reading skills and make friends with native English speakers. It's always nice to make new friends. To Heather's tricky grammar point, do you have to do something or must you do something? They're both modal verbs that represent obligation, but what's the difference? An easy way to think about this is where does the obligation come from? Is it your personal belief, an interior obligation, or is it an obligation from the law, the police, your company, your school, your university, an exterior obligation? If it's an interior obligation, think must. I must wash my clothes. If it's an exterior obligation, think have to. I have to wear special clothes to work. So, this episode's pronunciation tip is linked to the differences between UK and US English. 
Sometimes it's difficult to know how to pronounce words in English because accents can be so different. Heather's example of tomato, tomato is one of millions. So I have three more examples of typical words with different pronunciations that tend to stay different. First, a way of announcing or promoting a service or a product. UK English, advertisement. US English, advertisement. Next, a herb we typically put on a pizza. UK English, oregano. US English, oregano. Finally, something made of glass or ceramics that holds flowers. UK English, vase. US English, vase. You can choose which version is best for you, but remember, articulation, making your words clear, is more important than either a UK or US accent. Over to you to practice. So there we are. The transcript of this episode is available to read on the podcast's webpage, so take a look. Join me next time for more pronunciation tips, more advice, And, most importantly, more chatting. My thanks again to Heather, and, for her music, a massive thanks to the wonderful Mara Carlyle. Bye for now.